Um, well, it's great to be with you. I bring greetings from sunny Sittingbourne. The sun's out in Faversham as well, which is great. Um, I've been asked to speak in the Church Matters series now. Over the last few weeks, if you're a guest or a visitor here, we're guests and visitors. Uh, my family are sort of calling this place base camp over the summer, which is great. So we were in Cornerstone City Church uh, in Medway in Gillingham, and we're planting a new church in Sittingbourne called Hope Church with the network of family that we're a part of, sorry, network of churches we're a part of called Relational Mission. Um, and it's been great just getting to know Sam, getting to know Mike and some of the others in the church here. And um, we've been really encouraged as a family, kind of just by your open-handedness and inviting us in, opening up the doors, kind of letting us sit around the table with you, which is kind of reminiscent of what we're going to um, be looking at in a moment of the revelation table that is set for all nations to gather around. If we believe that, if we're Christians this morning, then there's no kind of tribal identity for us. We might have some distinctives, but there are no barriers. And it's great that we're coming into a a new season, not just here in Swale, but indeed across Kent. If you were enough uh, on Friday night, it was amazing. And I just want to thank those of you that managed to make it. If you couldn't make it, um, please do try and make the next one. It's just such a great opportunity to gather together um, and seek God in prayer uh, for things that are beyond the local. Um, for apostolic mission, not just locally, but to the nations as well. That's what God's caught us up, up into. That's our inheritance, is the nations. And that's super, super exciting. Um, so I'm going to be preaching this morning on um, the devoted church. And uh, Sam's asked if I would preach from Acts 2. So it's Acts 2, uh, 42 to 47. The verses are going to uh, pop up on the screen. But there's a little picture that I wanted to share with you first um, that came in the... This isn't going to buzz, is it? Uh, That came during my sabbatical. My wife and I had a sabbatical before we knew that we were going to be leaving uh, Medway. We had lots of, uh, kind of a year ago actually, before we, uh, yeah, on Friday, a year ago on Friday. uh, No, it's okay, it's fine. Got sign language going on from my wife. I don't need you to hold it, it's all right, love. Um, And so, a year ago on Friday night, um, I was on a plane going to India. Uh, to start a sabbatical, having worked for Cornerstone City Church for 10 years, kind of outworking mission and ministry there. And um, we had loads of questions about what the future looked like. We, we, as a family, we felt like God was stirring us, kind of un- loosening our roots in the local. And as an elder, that's a difficult thing because I felt like a bad elder because my heart didn't seem to be connected to the local as much as it had in the earlier days. And kind of went into this three-month sabbatical with a lot more questions and answers and actually probably came out of it with even more questions. Um, And then within a couple of days after that, God spoke at a church planting conference in Malaga, very very specifically about Hope Church Sittingbourne. And then over the next six weeks, he filled it all in for the rest of us as a family, prophetically. It was super exciting. And then on Friday night, a year ago to the day when the sabbatical started, we welcomed Uh, nine relational mission churches from across Kent, including some of you guys, uh, to come and worship in a place that wasn't even on the radar a year ago. Um, And during the sabbatical, one of the things God spoke to me was uh, this picture. I'm just going to hold it up. You might not be able to see it. I'll leave it up here afterwards if you want to see it. So a girl in our church, um, I asked her to draw this for me. Um, I've been doing some study on on the church, being a missional church. That's basically what I've been doing as as a master's degree for the last three years. I'm just in my dissertation here. And one of the things God spoke to me about was through a book by a guy called Brian McLaren um, about rediscovering the ancient paths um, and how there are ways and practices that the early church engaged with and enjoyed um, that somewhere along the way of church history, um, through the church becoming institutionalised, through the Roman Empire, um, through the, the, the split of the reformers and everything that's happened since then, that's a very potted view of church history, might put me up on that later, um, 
somewhere along the way, we've, we've, we've lost something. We've lost something of like the practices of the early church. And this guy, Brian McLaren, kind of encourages, as many other missiologists do, that we need to get back almost to the early church and really look at them very, very closely and look at their practices. Um, it might have been centuries ago, um, in fact, 2,000 years ago, but actually they were people that lived in time and space in a place and we are people that live in time and space and in a place. And what was common to them is common to us. Hopes, fears, what's life all about? How can I be happy? How can I find peace? How do I deal with life and death? These are questions, first order questions, that all of humanity have always lived with. And um, I, I, in this book, um, there was a prophetic word that was brought a few times in our church that really resonated with me. And I kept thinking it was for, for other people. And then... God basically underlined it through this book that I was reading by Brian McLaren. Of, uh, imagine, if you will, a shed, an old shed. I've got a shed where I was writing this morning's sermon. But imagine an old shed, and under the shed was found a little hatch. And in the hatch, uh, there was a treasure chest. And in this treasure chest, it was opened up, and within it were lots of tools. Tools that were covered in dust and looked centuries old. Very, very old tools. And they were carpenter's tools. And as the man who found the chest put his hand in and picked up the first tool, he saw it was very, very dusty, and he dusted it off and blew it off, and found that it was a, actually a new tool, unused, but had been dormant for centuries. And as he dusted it off and blew it off, the first one, say, was a saw, and on it was written a word, and it was prayer. And so he put that tool down, and he goes back in the chest, and there's another one, and it might have been a plane, all carpenter's tools. He dusted it off, and on that one was fasting. And he goes again and again. And there were things such as sacred meals, pilgrimage, other spiritual practices that the early church all embraced and all engaged in. And this prophetic word to me was, was amazing. I felt like God was saying, during your sabbatical, I want you to set time aside, not only to learn these things, but to practice them. And this book that I read, it turned out, was actually part of a series of several books that were about all of the different tools that are here. And I felt like God was equipping me for what was to come. And so, Mike, could I entrust this yeah. to you? Is that all right? It's very dear to me. Don't run off with it. <laughs> Not that I think that type of guy, but keep an eye on it. He'd probably sell it. That'd be great. He would sell it. <laughs> he would sell it on eBay. Go on eBay, look at Mike's account. There'll be a great photo for drawing for sale this afternoon. Brilliant. And so, as we, and so there's this encouragement that I want to give you of looking right back. Almost if we're like, I don't know if you're into iPhones or computers, but software always gets updated and upgraded. And the church, somewhere along the line, like when we were planting the church, everyone in relational missions has been asking us, what type of church are you going to be planting? Oh, okay, are we going to be a missional church? Are we going to be a house church? Are we going to be a cell church? Are we going to be a mega church? Are we going to be a, a church for the unchurched? Are we going to be a seeker-friendly church? Maybe we'll be a church that's really interested in social action. Maybe we'll be a pastoral church. What type of church? Maybe let's be a prophetic church. That would be a great church to be. What's our distinctive? And I look at the early church, which is what we're going to do in a minute, and we're almost looking at the first iteration, the very, very... Imagine like when the first iPhone ever, ever came out, and people were like, wow, this is a new thing. Now it's like iPhone 10, soon to be iPhone 11. I don't know what they're going to call the next one. It'll be like XI or IX or something like that. It's not going to make any sense whatsoever. They'll have to change the name a bit. But it, it's no longer new and exciting. It's just a development of that which went before. And often you're quite underwhelming. I don't know if you're into iPhones, but now the great selling point is that you can talk to your friends looking like a cow or a monkey. That is super exciting. Hasn't technology really advanced our society? Isn't that amazing? 
I'm super pleased about that. It really helps me in my work day to day to be able to have, have serious meetings with my boss as a cow or a monkey. That's, that's brilliant. Thank you, Apple. But we've done the same with the church. We've taken that which was planted and started thousands of years ago, started by Jesus, entrusted to the disciples, and then entrusted to people after that. Paul writes to Timothy, don't lose that which I've entrusted to you. Pass it on. There's like something that's passed on orally. We see it done orally. We've got the benefit of the, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in a minute we'll talk about the Apostles' teaching. But there was no New Testament. These guys are living out of the revelation of Jesus from the Old Testament. The teaching of the disciples that are journeyed with Jesus. This is what they're, they're living. And somehow along decades and centuries of church history, we've added on. We've bolted things on. We've bolted on programs. We've bolted on courses. We've bolted on theology and doctrine and understandings of different things that have somehow taken us away down little avenues, which I'm not saying are illegitimate, but somehow we've made the, like the ends of the, the branch. If you imagine all this has grown out of the trunk of the New Testament church, and there are branches over centuries that have come out of different denominations and streams and theologies, and we make the ends of those branches the root, whereas actually the root is right back here. And that's what I want to encourage us. We're going to look at that, and I'm super excited about that. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to do it. And so we're just going to read through it. Um, the way that I preach is a bit weird. We, like, I loved it when James was preaching. He's just like banging the same now, home and home and home again. There's no way that picture's falling off the ceiling if he was putting a picture up. That is banged right in. The way I tend to preach is um, we'll just read the verse, and I'm going to bounce around like a ping-pong ball all over the place. Hopefully you'll be able to keep up to me. It's a bit more like a shotgun rather than a sniper rifle. There'll be lots out there. Try and catch what you can. Hopefully it'll do you good. just want to pray really quickly. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? Lord, I pray that all the disconnected thoughts and ideas that you've given me far too many to fit into one sermon, Lord, that there will be some real truth in there that will do people good. Lord, we don't want to leave this place the same. We want to come away with an amazing revelation of who you are and your relationship to your holy church. Lord, that you love her, that you're her, that you're her groom and we are your bride and that you laid your life down for us. Lord, we want to see our part to play in human history and that we're not on our own, but we've got the, the whole breadth of human history to look back on and all of eternity to look forward to. And we, we want to get excited about that, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and stir us up. Lord, I pray that you would wake us up right now by your Holy Spirit, that we would have ears to hear, ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want to do and hearts to receive. Come now, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, um, so I'm reading from the ESV version. I've, I've read most versions other than foreign ones. I'm not very good at Spanish or German or anything like that. But I've read like ESV, NLT, The Message, and they're all pretty similar. So I've gone with the ESV. There's not really a lot of divergence on how they translate it. Verse 42 of Acts 2, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Isn't that exciting? What sort of church do you want to be a part of? I want to be a part of a church where day by day, the Lord was adding to the numbers of those who were being saved. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to... That, 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 that excites me. And... This comes at the end of a lot of stuff that comes before, so we need to kind of walk through what comes before to kind of get a grasp of it. Um, there are four things 
if we're talking about being devoted, there are four things that this church did, and then there are a lot of other things that God kind of does through those four things. And so I'm just going to go through those four things. Um, you might want to try and remember them, and I'm going to try and explain them in different ways, so hopefully they'll settle and rest a while. So the, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves unreservedly, wholeheartedly, completely, in every way. And who, like, who is they? Let's just start. Like, who is this? So this is Acts 2. Um, as a little bit of a backdrop, before that, there's Pentecost, which is like just a little thing to chuck out there, uh, where basically Jesus has ascended on high. Um, we've had all the Gospels, they've gone and been gone, and Jesus has now ascended on high and told the disciples to go and wait in an upper room. Uh, they're there praying and fasting, um, and they're, 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 like, I think they're there for 40 days, and then there's a rumbling, and the Spirit falls on these guys in the, the upper room. And it's not just the 12, there's 120. So Jesus has come, he's led 12 guys with him for 30 uh, for, sorry, for three years, and then they're waiting up in a room for 40 days, and there's 120 of them, and then they go out into the street, and Peter preaches the best sermon ever, um, and it's amazing, and there are people there from all sorts of different nations, they're in Jerusalem, uh, there's loads of different people there, and it says that there's Syrians and all sorts of people there who all hear the gospel in their own language, and they all say to him, they cut to the heart, and they say to him, what must we do to be saved? These aren't Jews, there are some Jews there, these are just all sorts of people, from all sorts of walk of life, just like you and me, uh, just like the people who will be in High Street, there's all sorts of people from all sorts of nations, with all sorts of backgrounds, who hear in their own language the good news of who this Jesus is. And they're cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And then Peter says, save yourself from this crooked generation. So there is a sense that they need to do something. That you have an action to do to be saved. That we live in a crooked generation. That doesn't mean everyone's thieves and robbers, what it means is we're all out of shape. Uh, Steph Liston, who leads Revelation Church in Camden, I remember him once really compellingly saying it's a little bit like we're born out of shape, the world knocks us out of shape, and we do things that also cause us to be out of shape. And so, in every way, we're not how we should be. And God, by his spirit, wants to straighten us out. Not through morality and doing the right thing, but he wants to put his spirit in us so that we can be reborn anew. So a bit like a, a, a caterpillar coming out of, a, a butterfly coming out of the chrysalis. We can be reborn out of what was before, something new emerges, but it takes the lived experience of the thing before and it gives a new expression to it. And so there's this sense of new life coming. And so these, it says then that 3,000 people repent for the forgiveness of their sins. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, like the disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit, have gone out and preached this amazing sermon, and then they're baptised. And then this is what comes next. This is what they do. I don't know about you guys, what you do is your first step of discipleship. Often we stick Alpha in there, or Next Steps, or some little foundations by John Graves. One of those, so we do a course. Like, we're good at courses, like a cornerstone. I won't talk about Hope Church City, but we're not quite that far along yet. We've got to figure out what type of church we want to be first. Um, but this is, these are the four things they do with 3,000 new believers. There's 120 people to disciple these 3,000 believers. That's a lot of people. How many is that, Sam, per believer? Well, I'll, I'll tell you by the end. You're going to figure out <laughs> your phone for yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? That, that's, that's more than a couple. That's not done over a coffee. This is a, a community experience. They are com communally going to disciple these people, and this is how they're going to do it. The first thing they do is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Can you warn me when I've got five minutes? Is that all right? Yeah, just... Yeah, brilliant. 
They give themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like we've said, this is basically Jesus in the Old Testament. We see this on the road to Emmaus, where there's two people walking along. Jesus has just been crucified, he's risen out of the tomb, and then there's these two guys walking along, and then Jesus appears with them, and he starts explaining, it says to them, about where he is in the Old Testament. It's a little bit like, where's Wally, without being irreligious, where Jesus says, Isaiah, there I am. Hey, Genesis, there I am. And he starts filling in all these gaps of all the prophecies, all the times that Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament. That's super exciting. Are you excited that Jesus is foretold in the Old Testament? They don't say here that they gave themselves to just teaching people the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament yet, so that's maybe why it doesn't say it. Often we say, oh, don't bog down new Christians in the Old Testament. The first thing you need to do is bog down new Christians with the Old Testament. You need to explain how it's all about Jesus. All of human history is all about Jesus. Jesus is in there, and that's exciting, because when you begin to see the way that God's been planning and working over, over centuries, over millennia, since the very beginning in, Gen- uh, in Genesis, all the way through to Revelation, you can start to see God's amazing plan. And that plan has got a thread all the way through, and that thread is Jesus. Every single story we're told in the New Testament, even all the Old Testament stories, are given to us as an example, that they are types and foreshadows of Jesus. So we see that with Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. We see it all the way through of, of David, the, the one that's going to rule and reign on the throne in righteousness. We see it all the way through. It's amazing. I get so excited about that. Are you excited? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Maybe the floor's more exciting. You don't know whether to look at me because I'm going to pick on you. I'm not going to pick on you. Come on, you can give me some feedback. This is exciting. Yeah. They give themselves to the apostle teaching. We're going to explain a bit more about that. But first, I want you just to get a bit of, I want to wake you up. Put your hands on your head for me. Oh, you guys are so obedient. Now pat your bellies. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Put your hands on your head. You guys are oh, that's like spiritual abuse right there. I'm so sorry. So put your hands on your head. Brilliant. Anyone not doing it? You're out. If you did do it, you're out. There's no prize at the end. Okay, you can take your hands off your head. The first thing is they give themselves to teaching. They're being changed, renewed by the, transformed by the renewing of their mind. Is how it's explained in the New Testament. There's something going on that intellectually, philosophically, they're getting a new way of seeing and perceiving the world within which they live. This isn't just something that's bolted on to their pre-existing way of doing life. They're given a whole new paradigm of, of, of everything. Everything. Not just faith, everything. Who they are. Their place in human history. Their identity as those who were once estranged from God. Not even part of the nation of Israel. Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free. All now are able to come to God. This is apostolic teaching. And it doesn't stop there. But all those nations then go out and affect other nations. That we're sent. Apostolic. Sentness. That there's a sense of sentness. Of this gospel has got legs to it. It runs. It's like leaven in the dough. It can't help but go. It's not about keeping it to ourselves. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to run. It's like with a healthy tree, you know, you, you, like, you, like us as a plant. So you go to Cornerstone, you, you lop off a fairly healthy branch, you take it over here, hope, fairly quickly open, it's not going to die, and you plant it in sitting ball, and then you hope in this healthy tree, actually, what that will do, it's not going to cause any damage to that, but actually more life's going to spring through. And what will happen is this thing will graft and take, and then life will come there. And then likewise, you're cutting, grafting, planting all across the Garden of England, and then there is amazing New Testament churches all over Kent, into yeah, the yeah. nations. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Come on, you're getting excited now. This is good. This is really good. I'm not going to get anywhere through any of this. Um, they devote themselves to apostles' teaching. We'll move on quickly. There's a lot more I want to say about this. But... And to fellowship. Right, now this is a bit of a technical point. But I think these two things are a bit like pastor teacher when we talk about Ephesians 4 gifts. I think these two things are both the same and different. They're linked intrinsically. That there is a 
apostles' teaching and fellowship. The apostles' teaching, hands on heads, is that which is going on in here. Fellowship is that which is going on out here. Okay, so when you put your hands on your body. Okay, so apostles' teaching is about the proximity of, of your lived theology, like your experiences, your understanding of who, of who God is. So there's the apostles' teaching. Jesus didn't teach people in a classroom. He got them to do it on the road with mission. He took them out into the highways and byways and he got them to do it. He showed them and then he said, right, you guys are going to do it. And then he gave them a bit of feedback and then he went off and left us all get on with it. That's exciting. We get to play a part in God's amazing missional plans in our day and age. We don't just have to read about it and let other superstars go off and do it. We all get to play in God's team. That's super exciting. Are you excited about that? If you're not excited about that, I'm going to try and get you excited about that. So fellowship, like, so the father sends the son. The son comes in, lives and dwells amongst people just like us, rotten pairs who need a saviour. And he is the saviour. And he changes the game. He comes in and he makes his home in us because he sends the spirit. Pentecost, that's what happens there. The spirit comes and pitches up his tent in our heart and changes us from the outside in. No longer do we have to do things from the, from the outside in, but he changes us from the inside out, sorry. And we're changed and transformed because the Spirit of God lives in us, not because we try to do the right thing. So God does it. God does the work. We just have to not get in the way of it and allow him to do it. We still have complete freedom, complete autonomy to go off and shipwreck our lives, to do all sorts of silly and ridiculous things because God doesn't want to control us like little remote control robots. He wants us to participate and co-labor with him as his disciples, as his followers. And it's down to us really to slow down, like Sam was trying to encourage us to this morning, and to discern where God is at work in the world around us. And how he's gifted us and shaped us, both individually and corporately, as believers both in this church and across churches, not just relational mission, but across local churches in Faversham, across Swale, across Kent, into nations, of how we can partner together to more better reflect God's kingdom on the earth so that people get saved. Because that fundamentally is, is our purpose. We are here, apostolic teaching. We are sent into the world like Jesus was sent by the Father and the Spirit was sent by Jesus. Losing the thread there. And the Spirit sends us with the same gospel message that we too, like these people in Acts who just before I have found salvation in God, we too have found salvation, restoration with God. And so apostles' teachings, Jesus coming... Journeying with 12 disciples for three years, that then grows to 120, and then this moment, that then grows to 3,000. So, fellowship is not a static thing. If you've been in a growth group, or a small group, or a life group, or that, that's been the same five people for the last 20 years, you need to shake it up a little bit. Because ap- apostolic teaching causes multiplication. It has to. Because that's the DNA of the New Testament church, is multiplication. We see it just even in three years that one, Jesus, has now become 3,000. And we look back over all of human history from now to then, and actually we're talking about a couple of billion Christians. Faith is like leaven in the dough. It multiplies, it, it goes, it goes like strawberry plants. It sends runners into all sorts of different places. And so Jesus, amazingly, in, like in John 17, he's praying for the disciples that he's just about to leave. And he's saying... Lord, I pray that you'd be with them because I'm not going to be with them anymore. I'm going to come and be with you. What I've entrusted to them, would you help them to run with? I'm paraphrasing it. He didn't say it like that. But Jesus, is, it's kind of like God's plan is to give the keys to the kingdom to 12 men who at every opportunity denied him, ran away from him, hid from him, fell asleep, didn't know what was going on. But have you ever been like that? 
Look, I'm like that. I don't know about you, I'm like that. I'm, maybe I'm the worst one here, but I'm like that all the time. I don't want to participate with God. It's frightening. What if he asks me to do something that I'm uncomfortable with? What am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm uncomfortable now. God's plan is to give us the keys to the kingdom so that we can go and see people set free. His spirit, it's not us that does it, but it is us that does it. If you don't want to come to church anymore, sit home and watch the World Cup and do all sorts of things till the end of time, you can do that. The world misses out. Your friends, your family miss out. You don't have to pray, you don't have to read the Bible, you don't have to do anything. You can go and live your life exactly how you want to do it. But God has chosen in his manifold wisdom to kind of take people who don't want to do that stuff and try and put his spirit in them so they do want to go and do that stuff. All the time knowing that after time we don't really want to do the stuff because it gets in the way of the stuff that we do want to do. And that's what Paul was saying. What a wretched man I am because I don't want to do the stuff that I know I should want to do and I really do want to do it because I see how he's loved me and how I've experienced that love. But actually I don't want to do it. Is that right? Do you get what I'm saying? And so the fellowship is this apostle's teaching kind of lived out in community with a bunch of people all very different from all different nations who don't really want to do the stuff. I don't know what your prayer meetings are like, but when we have prayer meetings, like enough, there could have been hundreds and hundreds of people. We could have filled out Forster Manor like ten times over if everyone in Kent had rocked up. But you know what? People didn't want to come. They wanted to sit at home, have a barbecue, have a glass of wine. You know, like that's what it's like. That's what it's like. If, if that was you, like, I've genuinely, I've not been following you, I've not got anyone that's like, I've not had reports from Sam and Mike, that's like, not how it works. But that would be me. Oh, the World Cup's on, do I really want to go? England are playing. Like, I'm part of a WhatsApp group with our leaders, after guys, oh, but the England match is on when it's a prayer meeting, it'll just be the ladies there. Not that we're being stereotypical, I know ladies like football. But actually, was it full of men or full of women? The women were there, you know, and the guys weren't, because they were all watching the football. As an example, we don't want to do the stuff. They gave themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the, the, the Greek underneath this, I'm not going to try and pronounce it, because I'll look like Del Boy from Only Falls and Horses, Monstu, Monstu, and all that. The breaking of bread here is, is both breaking of bread, as in having a meal, like the Passover meal, having actual food, sitting down and having a lasagna with a friend. That's also the participation in communion. The two words are the same, interchangeable, all the way through the New Testament. They're used a lot like that. And so it's hard to make too much of a theology of which one is it. I would say it's both and. Jesus said every time you meet, do this in remembrance of me when he was talking about the Last Supper. There is something about this com community. All of these things that they're doing, the apostles teaching, they're giving themselves to a way of thought that's not worldly, but it's about Jesus. They're giving themselves to a type of community, a fellowship, which was entrusted to the disciples. We are invited into that same Five minutes already. We are invited into that same fellowship. Let's have a lock-in. Can we have a lock-in? Uh, let's do it. I used to have a lot of lock-ins when I was in my 20s, but they were different. Sit down the pub. There's football on. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to do this. <laughs> and, um, there's much grace. Right, and so I'm just going to expand this first bit. What did they devote themselves to? And so this fellowship is kind of that community that Jesus developed is a kingdom community. And we are invited into that same community. And it's our job to invite others in. The Trinity is a community that could quite easily just lock itself in and look very much inwards. But the community is an outward-facing community. It's a community that's faced towards the world and it invites in the other. 
and the other is us. Damaged, broken, messy. Yet the Trinity is a community which is perfect. And actually, very much like adoption, which my wife and I have embraced, we've got two adopted kids and one long-term fostered. When you invite in people who've got damaged lives, it's messy and it affects your relationship, your community, your fellowship. But over time, the good that you enjoy, hopefully, gets passed on as part of the DNA to those you're inviting in. And that is God's salvation plan, is that as a church, we will open our borders. Wow, that was a flash car. <laughs> that we would open our, that we would turn towards the world, open our doors, make room at our table, so that the other, wherever they come from, however different they are from us, however different their experiences, they would come and find place at our table, and in that they would find healing and rest for their souls, and they likewise would then go and do the same thing. It's not complicated. It's not, of course, this is everyday life. It's easy having meals with people around the table, the breaking of bread. So it's the mouth and the heart and the stomach. There's a sense of gathering together around Jesus at the centre of the meal. We can all have teaching, we can all have friendship and community with one another, we can all have breaking of bread and food together, but when Jesus is at the centre of every single one of these practices, it's life-changing. It brings transformation and change in people. It brings multiplication and growth in situations and circumstances. It brings healing into dying bodies. And it brings hope and faith where those who we really wish were with us have, have gone on, because we know actually that this place isn't our home, we're passing through. And the last thing they give themselves is to prayer. I'm not going to teach about prayer, because I'm sure the LZ have done a great job of that over the years, but consistent, persistent, intentional and strategic prayer is really important. Prayer doesn't just happen, like going to the gym does, doesn't just happen. We have to set time aside for it, it is hard work. It's that same thing, we don't really want to do the stuff. We know we should, the mouth is the overflow of the heart. Too many of us actually hold our fears and our hopes all locked up inside and God really wants to breathe on those. But again, in his divine manifold wisdom, he wants us to share it with him. He doesn't want to just delve in and pull it out and do stuff with it. He knows the secrets of our heart, of course. But he wants us to share it with him in relationship. He actually wants us to share it with one another communally. We were singing a song earlier, which um, I'd love it actually if we could sing it as a response here. Um, I don't know the last one, and it said I a lot, I, 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 um, about in how we worship. I wish, I'd love us to sing that as we, because the Christian life is a communal life. We're not individuals. That's what we see here. I'd love to have another four hours to just don't kick the, the next verse. But it says, all came on every soul, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Heaven touches earth. As they give themselves to these four practices, all gathering around Jesus at the centre of every one of those practices, these set them apart as holy and distinct. Heaven touches earth, signs and wonders come, the kingdom is revealed to affirm the, the message that they're preaching about Jesus as the Messiah. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. We live in a divided and uh, like a disunified world. Jesus unifies us across every nation, tribe, generation, across all of human history, and he makes a table for us, if we're to believe Revelation 19 through to 21, where we all get to sit and enjoy heaven's party. That's an amazing picture. I love that. I, I live and die for that. It's amazing. We're one new man in Christ, as James preached so excellently the other week. We're one new man in Christ. There are no more dividing walls. The Spirit has unified us in every single way. And these guys then start selling their possessions, literally their property, um, and so there are people that have worked their whole life who then start selling everything they've ever invested their lives in. Their whole identity gets jettisoned so that others who are living in a time of famine in Jerusalem, who are going to die if they don't get fed and watered, 
They sit around the table and they, they distribute their stuff. They're not communists, but they live communally. Everything comes in at the apostles' feet and it's distributed so that no one lacks any good thing. What would that look like in Faversham? What would that look like in Sittingbourne? I love what you guys do with make lunch and stuff like that. It's amazing. It's such a provocation to a looking world. Why would you guys do that? Invest your time and your energy, your resources, in seeing people fed when they've done nothing. This, that's a great example of that. There's so much more. There's so much more. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So there's a sense that they're doing it publicly, they're doing it privately. They don't just have a private belief that they have in, in, in private. They have a very much a public truth. It's proclaimed in the highways and byways. People are seeing their witness. They're seeing people getting changed and transformed at ridiculous numbers. Day by day, people getting added. Jesus is doing something phenomenal in and around his community. And the world is looking on like we promised in Isaiah prophetically that the nations are going to look on at God's holy hill and they're going to see something of salvation and provision of God's blessing on, on this Israel and they're going to be attracted to it. And that's what we see here. It says they were praising God and they had favour with all the people. Everyone in Jerusalem knew what was going on with them. And they, they weren't being persecuted. People wanted a part of it. This is, it starts in the church. That's why in the New Testament we're told that, like, first look out after those of the household of faith. And then that is like a magnet. Like the, it's almost like I was told not to use this illustration, but like the polarity on a magnet when you change it, and then all of a sudden iron filings come towards a magnet when you turn it around, and it's not repelling the stuff. But this is what happens. It's like all of a sudden the, the world starts to get attracted to Jesus because of what they see in his community, because they see his provision, they see his healing, they see signs and wonders. They see people not living for today, defined by their possessions. They see people living for an eternal reality, travelling light. And they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Simple living, very simple, very simplistic. They're not caught up with the next iteration of the iPhone or church. What type is it going to be? Church 5.0. It's, it's simple life. Let's just gather around Jesus and enjoy him and enjoy one another because we're a new, new creation. We are a new family. What we do or we do not do with our possessions and our resources is an indicator of the Spirit's presence or its absence. If we hold on to everything thinking it's ours, then we've completely misunderstood God's lordship. And now he entrusts stuff to us as stewards. And everything that we've got is to be laid back at his feet to be used for his purposes. So this is a community of good living within a community that's gone bad that's bringing life back to it. Wow, what a legacy. That's the sort of church I want to be a part of. A community that's looked at, those guys will do you good. Go and be a part of them, they will do you good. That's my prayer for you guys, that, that all of Faversham would know your name. Mm. That, that, like, what a reputation that is. I pray that for the Sheppey Gospel Plant. I pray that for Hope Church City and I pray that for Faversham Community Church. That we would be known. Go to those guys. That, that church, there's something different about them. They will do you good. And as they embraced all of these things, the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so that is definitely the five minutes gone. Thanks, mate, for not pulling me down. Can I pray? Yeah, of course, Worship team, would you mind coming up? Do you know what song I was on about? <laughs> Brilliant, sorry, thanks again. Could we all stand? I didn't get you putting your hands on your bellies and on your feet and other places. You do that another week.
So there, there's a, a sense of us going to almost like rediscovering what the church is in our minds. That actually it's, it's a, a family, a community that we're a part of. Not just on a Sunday, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week where we're wanting to gather together. We, we're wanting to see God move in power. So as we give ourselves to these first four things, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread and prayer, that God then moves. Revival comes. Heaven touches earth. Healing is made manifest. The, the, the distinct tribes are unified. And so if you want to play a part in that, I'll just, can I encourage you to put your hand on your heart? I just want to pray a quick prayer. And then the worship team, if you could lead us, that would be great. I just want to pray a quick prayer. Maybe you want to pray it after me uh, in the silence of your own heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've saved me. I thank you that there's a place at the table for me. And you don't look at me as one who is far off. But you've come and made your home in me by your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, fill me with your joy. And give me a confidence to stand on your gospel in a world that is far from you. Lord Jesus, help me to follow you into my workplace, into my family, into my neighbourhood. That I might represent you well and that I might live with observable faith for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.